This is season three, episode one. That's right, season three. We're back of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Our episode tonight is introducing new players to the hobby or group. Or you can check out anytime, but you can never leave. Welcome to Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast. Like I said, it's all about maximizing your game with ideas, advice, cool stuff found, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you can find all our information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. You can send us an email, give us some feedback, questions at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. So I'm very excited to be back on the mics with you folks. Um... Good day, good evening, good morning, depending on where you're at. <laughs> James good morning, is in the Carl. Feywild. That's established yeah, canon. James right. lives in the Feywild. <laughs> good morning in this beautiful uh, spring morning uh, down here in Australia. So um, it's uh, it's lovely. Good to be back. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. Certainly has. Um, certainly has. And many games under the under the belt since then. So keen to have a chat and talk through some of the things that we've been doing and, again, provide some more advice to budding games masters and players out there. It's going to be good. Yeah, we just, we just finished the science fiction campaign that we talked about many times in the previous episodes. They found, out, they found the master program, rebooted it or whatever you want to call it. it. Everything shut down and they actually ended up getting yeah. stuck on a paradise planet because none of their equipment worked anymore because it was all <laughs> we the shut the matrix down and then we were in a crappy uh we were stuck in a crappy basement somewhere basically <laughs> so now we're going to start a new one so we're working through the uh we just did the session zero using many of the lessons that uh we exposed here um, yes so uh so that was exciting um so yeah eric how about you what you been up to well other that, than that campaign for sure uh <laughs> Yeah, some other campaigns. Um, I'm learning. I'm trying to learn some new systems. Maybe something that we'll do here. Maybe we don't know. That's we're, we're throwing around some ideas. Um, yeah, some stuff of my own. Just, just a lot of different mix. But yeah, different games. Um, ran a one shot for some friends. Uh, so yeah, just kind of random stuff. Very cool. I'm at the end of my year's games at the moment. So putting together. Uh, the finales, you know, kind of writing the last, you know, kind of five, ten sessions for most of my groups. So that's very, very exciting. And I've I've been um I've been invited to try a new system called Die, and I know nothing about it. So um, <laughs> um I've got a couple of a uh, couple of one shots coming up of this this game called Die. So um I'll let you know how it goes. It seems like it's a deadly game, maybe or something. It sounds that... like it, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Literally knows no nothing about it at all, but it's based on a comic book. Is the one thing okay? So I do know one. Oh, that's thing. cool. It's based yeah. on a comic book called Die. Maybe so it only we'll uses one d six. That's why it's called Die. Yeah, <laughs> uh, okay, now hundreds, hundred people. <laughs> we got to stop doing that. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure you'll get a chance to tell us more about it when uh, when you get a chance. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So. Kind of getting into it, I'm actually pretty excited that we got a couple of emails during our little break. 
email. One of them was actually from the FreePie. I hope I am pronouncing that right. Um, the FreePie offered us ideas on season three. I won't read the entire email, but um, a lot of those were good ideas, and we actually incorporated a few of them into our progression. We brainstormed, got together. Would have had a retreat, but we're all located in different parts of the country. But we brainstormed. We sang Kumbaya, and we came up with uh, some episodes that we'd like to do. And we, I'd like to thank uh, the FreePie for giving us some of those ideas. We had a second email from Rob, um, and he was asking, um, I was looking over Kickstarter today, and I found the new Harn World Hardbacks. It looks like an amazing world to play in with such detail. This made me start to think, where do you start? With so much detail, how can you begin with not knowing it all? Does this reduce your ability to be creative on your own by filling in all the hidden dark places with known information? So pretty good questions, I think. Um, I'll, I don't know, James, did you want to start off with uh, some of your ideas or do you want me to layer in, layer in first? Yeah, sure. And, and Han, my God, I haven't heard of Han for many years. Han is a um, true-to-life medieval system, so it's, it's based very much on um, European uh, medieval, but with a fantasy kind of kind of twist. Um, for me, and this goes for uh, all, whenever I look at any published campaign world. So this is different to a published campaign module where you have a story, but where you where you open up effectively an atlas and an encyclopedia and, and pull your hair out and go, where the hell do I start? Um, I definitely use the idea of a spiral campaign where where you look at a small part of the world, potentially the first village. And really look at that village alone. So, um, and then slowly expand out. So, from the village to the next town, and then from the town to the next city, and then from that city to the next city, and so on and so forth. Um, and and there's a couple of things here too. It's generally it's okay if you're using a published world to go a little bit more gentle on yourself. There's some benefits of using a published world in that all the details are written. You just have to find them in the book. So, go. You have to, you can go a little slower when you're looking up some of this information. Um, but one of the benefits I find is you don't need to take as many notes because when you're ad-libbing some of this stuff, when you do a homebrew, you always have to remember what you've already kind of laid on the table and make sure you make a note of, of some of the things that you're ad-libbing. Um, with a published world, you're really finding out those details. Um, but don't be afraid to restrict where the players can go and what they can interact with. Um, when I when I ran my Fae Touched game with Eric, for example, I restricted the whole of Mid Midgard, which is Kobold Press's world, into a forest within a duchy. So I basically told the players, we're all going to be from the Grand Duchy of Dornig. You guys need to figure out where within that duchy you are um, and then really restrict the access of, of, of kind of some of the information just to make it a little easier on you when you're starting a campaign. And then over time, you expand out a little bit more and a little bit more. So um, in my mind, most of the, the pre-published Atlas-like worlds still leave a lot of gaps. You still leave heaps of room in order to bring your own, uh, own flavour to it. So I don't feel like that that's a missed opportunity. But in my, in my opinion and my advice, start very small, restrict what the players know to begin with, and that way you, it takes less study time to become more familiar with it. And I think you hit on a big point that I would bring up is there, find a little place in the world that isn't as fleshed out, a little a little nugget that you can bring some of the lore in. Um, and you really just, you, you don't need to know everything, just like you said, James. It's really 
just some of the basic stuff that's really important that everybody would know, like like the gods, for example. You you'd really want to understand those and um, what they mean as far as as the PCs get created. But find a little corner. And you can bring your own lore, a little bit your own, into it before you have to spend all the time learning every detail and then saying, I guess my problem with published settings sometimes, and I've done mostly Dragonlance, is what is there left to do? Sometimes they put way too much history and way too much things. And so sometimes you just got to find a corner where people haven't touched yet and, and work through it from there. Yeah, I, I you guys totally... I, a lot of the points I, I thought of, or I, I also think of, really good points. And I think for me, which I've personally experienced this more than once, e either as a player and as a game master, I think the first thing that's really important is just to set expectations with players. Because there's a lot of times where the, where the game master will know less of the lore than, than players will. And so players will be, so you have to tell them like, you know, I'm doing my own thing. So it's important to be like, this is my version of X World, right? That gives you some more freedom and will like, that will then tell the players that like, not everything that you know is correct. Like the big things, yes, but like, you know, come to, don't just assume everything because this is my version of the world, right? If we're talking about like uh, Galarian for Pathfinder, this is my Galarian. I think that's really important is to set those expectations with the players. And just like you said, Carl, but I would even go further. Like if we do my, my Fallout game um, where I wanted to play in the world of Fallout um, and basically what you were saying, Carl, but I think even more so is like you can just either, you know, completely create a region or create like th something that wasn't there at all. Um, uh, and just be like, this is my setting within the setting kind of thing. Or like if the example of Galarian, you'd be like, there's this island here in my version, right? And this island nation, and that's where we're playing the game. And this island nation is of my creation, so you can kind of play off what James is saying. But having just like your own thing completely within that gives you the flexibility of both, like Carl was saying, like the, the cosmology and the overall lore of the world. And kind of like if people had traveled there, like they could be like, oh, I'm from, you know, uh, Andor Andoran, which is like a Galarian thing. I'm from this place, but I've traveled to this newly discovered kingdom or something. So some of that background stuff is done, but you can really have fun with a little bit of your own, like quote unquote homebrew, um, but then still have all the big stuff. So those are my two things. Very cool. Very cool. Um, hopefully that helps answer that question and, you know, appreciate all the comments and questions that come in. And that was a great, that was a great question. So thank you, Rob, for that. Appreciate it. So I think we can uh, head off and hit the main topic. So our main topic today is introducing new players to the hobby uh, and or your game group. Um, and so there's really two kind of things that we want to explore a little bit, which is Players who are brand new to the hobby, haven't played before, kind of learning the ropes, and then bringing players into an existing game group. Now, these could be experienced players, or it could be that newly formed player who's uh, just new to the hobby. Um, so we'll like to kind of cover both of those. And I think maybe we'll start with the challenges of bringing uh, somebody new into the hobby. Um, so I'll, I'll tee this up a little bit. Um, Let's uh, so I'll, I'll walk through. So let's start with some of the the challenges. Um, maybe we'll start, uh, Eric. Maybe you want to add a little something. You know, being a being a uh, player and yourself. Being a new player yourself, Eric. What yeah, brand new to the hobby. <laughs> yes, I mean we were all new players once, right? It's like everything. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think especially nowadays, I think a lot of people might have preconceived notions or assumptions or judgments, right? You can you don't know what anybody's going to bring with them, kind of on that. Uh, but generally, if somebody like it's important to know who the player is. If this is somebody that's like they've come to you, or they're just generally excited. Um, there's other times like I've had friends where like I tell them about it and I'm like, I think you would like it, but they're like more hesitant because of whatever, you know, if they have self-esteem issues or they just don't think they're going to like it. Right. So you don't really ever know what you're getting into. So it's kind of important. That's a one thing um, that can be confusing. Like if you think one thing and it's another thing too. Um, and yeah, like on those judgments, I think people think, you know, if they see something like critical role, um, they might think like, well, I have to be the most brilliant voice actor or something. I have to be the most uh, practiced improviser and have a, you know, a insane background to do voices and all that. And then that's just something, you know, again, you have to deal with. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys, you know, I'll tag it off so we can keep it. Okay. And the answer is yes. You, you need to be an expert in all these things in order to play. No, no <laughs> Immediately, yeah. yeah. Just, just uh, a couple of the other no. challenges for me is um, – that these games have got a hell of a lot of rules. There's there's rule books that go, you know, a whole library of rule books that I'm I'm literally watching behind Carl, and you can't see his camera, but uh, there are thousands <laughs> of rule books and thousands of rules, and this can be very very daunting. Uh, a lot of the rules can be very very complex, and of course, when you create a character, the big thing for me is the choices can often be overwhelming, um, particularly when you start. Uh, you know. If I just even think of the most basic fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons character, you, there are three rule books that you could you could get caught up in and, and be be stuck with, and in terms of a choice, so it can often be very very difficult um, to kind of work your way through that and interpret those rules for a new player straight away. Carl, yeah, I, I think those are uh, really the key things to take away for me is is rules. They're just there's just a lot of them. I mean, everybody, when they talk about role-playing games, they say, hey, you can be anything you want. It's, you know, fun to pretend. You can be all sorts of stuff. But then when you come and you start looking at, you know, a several hundred page book that explains how you can be somebody and then having to pick that up, I mean, it's completely foreign. It's not something people are used to. It's it's just a different concept. I mean, when you know, video games don't have rule books anymore. I mean, video games have like a playthrough and video games, you don't have to sit down with a big text. So rules are, you know, game rules are a foreign concept to most people coming into the hobby. Um, and um, like James, you said, um, there's just so many choices, it's better to kind of limit them. So definitely it's tough to, I don't know, when I brought my kids into the game, they kind of just sort of fell into it. So I never really had to go through that process of teaching them. They just sort of osmosified—that's a word—and yeah. brought it in. And so um, anybody who's just kind of coming in cold turkey, there's a lot of things that just will not make sense. And, and like Eric, you said, you know, do I need to do voices? I mean, I'm pretending to be a person. What does that mean to pretend to be something or or act? You know, what does in character even mean? Right. As opposed to out yeah. of character. Right. So and, and it's it's also one of those things like that's I almost pictured it as almost like sailing where you have like the practical knowledge and the learned knowledge. And, you know, because because a lot of our games are not just about the rules. I mean, there's the rules there. And then you're connecting that with like the other stuff that we talk a lot about on these podcasts a lot is like, how do you you know make good characters? How do you interact with your players? How do you do a good narrative? Like even as a player. Right. And connecting those things, I think, can also be very uh, discordant for, for a new player to come in. It's like not really understanding how to do that. And I think all of us like 
that when we've been playing so long, there's just even going to like a new game, we just understand core concepts and we just understand yes. how, you know, how to make care, even if character creation is wildly different, I can generally come into any game system at this point. And I read a lot of them now and just be like, I and just kind of understand the flow of actualizing my character into what the game wants me to do, even if I don't understand the rules. And I think those new players are just not going to have those kind of meta tools that we have just because we're so practiced at it. They, they don't understand the three-letter acronyms. Yeah, that's a big part. I do think, though, there are some universal things that people, that everyone knows to play, you know. Let, yeah. Play, let's pretend, is something that kids do and people are used to, at least used to the concept of that, of we're making up a character and we're, we're going to pretend that we're something else. Um, I think most people are, are very familiar with just acting in general and so taking on a role is not entirely alien um, and so yeah. playing to that kind of we're playing let's pretend but we're going to codify the things that you're pretending about is probably not a bad way to kind of approach it to begin with makes a lot of sense so uh so those are the challenges and there's a lot of them right um but they're not insurmountable obviously because there's a lot of people who come to the hobby and enjoy it and have learned it so Let's talk about some, you know, what are some ideas and sort of the structure on them that we can bring to the table to help overcome some of these challenges? Um, you know, I'll go ahead and, and throw a couple out there myself. Um, you know, first, it, it's, and I think we mentioned a little bit of set those expectations, um, you know, make sure that the person knows that there's no judgment. You know, we're all here to have fun. Everybody's going to be willing to help out. Um, there's no... Uh, and and there's there's really no no reason to be apprehensive because we're all doing the exact same thing. We're all playing the game, and and no one's trying to be sillier or going to complain if you're silly. That's that's not a problem. Um, uh, when we mentioned a little bit about the characters, for example, I mean, I would always think start with pre gens. Um, kind of start there. Don't, don't force. Eric may disagree with me, but uh, yeah, I, I am going to. Uh, yeah, but don't force. But don't force them to go through the entire character creation step. I think, um, and uh, and then when you're going through the rules, kind of try to s stick with the simple concepts, the key concepts, the core concepts that get things done. Don't dump the player's guide on them right away. Um, actually, you know, in, in our YouTube, YouTube channel, we have. Um, um, Savage Worlds, uh, you can explain, there's a video that explains basic of the rules in five minutes. And that's a 200-odd page book. Um, but you can get them, really get understanding them in, in a short period of time if you <laughs> really focus on just the core, the core set. But I'll, I'll kind of that, leave... That's Carl's that. video. I just That's Carl's video. My kind of version of it is like 45 minutes or something. No, or you did it in 20. Time. You still did it in like 25 minutes. Oh, I did I? For yeah, the one yeah, of yeah. Him? Okay, I don't um, know. Well, we did the actual play one. Yes, yep. I, I knew that the pregens was going to be a thing that we all uh, – I thought definitely Carl was going to be on that side. I wasn't sure about James. And I'm of a different mind. Not completely. I, I definitely agree with you. You don't want to get them through the whole thing and all the advanced options. I think first of all – here's ultimately how I look at it when I'm talk, talking about bringing pe new people or a new person in is I want to engage them into what the hobby's about. And I think part of what the hobby's about is your character and having ownership over the character. And so I think there's different levels to the quote-unquote pre-gen experience. I think completely fabricating a pre-gen character 
is most of the time, I don't think it's the best thing to do. Um, it depends on the person, though, obviously. The person could be something that doesn't want to deal with it at all, and you might not have time. But as far as the other levels, I think some of the best way is, first of all, to be like, what kind of character do you want to play? Just ask them. And they can tell you, and then you can create it on your own as a game master. I think that would be like the lightest weight touch to go. As well, far that as, is a maybe, maybe that's what you were thinking, Carl. <laughs> well, I, I guess, okay. Well, so I thought as a pre-gen, it's something that you just make a character and you like, hand, like okay, choose one of these. That's what I yep. think of when you say pre-gen. Um, when you've done one shot with us and you've done pre-gens, you've just handed me a character sheet. Well, right? yeah, and that's and that's so, primarily for like one shots like or one convention shot. games yeah. or something that has a specific thing. But I, I guess what we're talking about in that case, when you say when you say it's you're helping. When you say pre-gen, yeah, yeah you're creating. You, or when I see pre-gens for bringing somebody into a game, yeah, you're asking them those questions, and then you're helping build. Okay. You're building a character, and you may be handing it to them, but it's it's their character. It's not. You know, yeah. a rogue that I built for a one shot that I'm just handing you and saying, now you're a rogue. Congratulations. So I don't think yeah, we're so disagreeing. That, that's, what, yeah. that's what I want to clarify. So I'm definitely that I think is the lightest touch. And um, yeah. And when you're when you when you are talking to them about it, be like, oh, just, you know, first of all, you can just be like, well, what kind of character do you want to play? Like first you've set up the what kind of world it is, what kind of genre what, we're playing a fantasy game. Uh, what kind of character do you want to play? And if they don't really know, just be like, OK, the good the good hint for me here is. Well, what's like a movie or uh, a book or a TV show character that you really like that you would want to kind of emulate that style? Like if they really like, you know, if you brought up like Lord of the Rings, like they like Aragorn or, Aragorn or something, like you'd be like, okay, I can make a ranger. Because not everybody knows these, you know, these things that we, as much as we do, like uh, what a ranger ne necessarily is. So I think using media for somebody who's entirely new to kind of be like, for them to be like, well, what character do you like that, you know, you want to play that? And then you can kind of go off of there. I think that's a that's a big hint. And I've actually used that with people before of like who just had no idea what they wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, but Carl, what you were saying, that's like the light touch of you kind of just ask them what they want to play and you build it completely. Then there's like the middle, I would call middleweight version where you you maybe throw some suggestions out. Like, do you want to do more specific like this style or this style? Um, and then there's the more heavier touch, which I just want to say, I personally, and even as a player, I found that pretty much every game I've ever been in, most, I would say 90% of the games I'm in, like not your game, um, uh, not your game, James, but pretty much every uh, Carl's game and uh, so many other games I've been in and things that I've game mastered or helped. And even outside of that, I've taught so many people at this point how to play different games. I th it has to be over 100 people that I've like taught the rules to. Um, I've taught it in groups before. I've done it at game stores. It's just something because I love teaching people stuff and I love making characters. So it's something that I found the role in very much as well. But so if you have the time, the kind of more heavier version is, you know, not telling them every rule, but being like, okay, what's your character? Like sitting down with them and constructing it together and yes. saying suggestions of like, okay, you want to be a warrior. Like, well, there's these options. Like if it's Pathfinder, like you can kind of go with a big two-handed build. You could go with a dual weapon build. You can go with a, you know, uh, reach build that kind of controls things. Like you can get into some more specifics, but you still use your mastery of the system to kind of make it easier for them to parse. So I think those are the three versions. And it really depends on, of course, your time, but also how much the player is wanting to be engaged and how much they want to be like engaged in that process. But I never, never think, and I, like Carl, like we actually not disagreeing with this. I never, ever, ever think you should just hand them a complete pre-gen because you really want them to have that feeling of some ownership, and you, you know, and that will engage them more into the game. So, sorry, that was my rant about that. I think I'm I'm in a foot in both camps here, and it is all about, and you touched on it perfectly, Eric. It's about time. 
I have a lot of players that join a game where I get about an hour heads up that I've got a new player coming in. Um, and in that instance, I always use pre-gents because there's, there's no time. So I present my fan out of 10 or so different characters and just quickly describe which one. They can grab that character and play with it. And I'm very, very careful to, to, to stress that after two sessions, if you don't like that character, we'll make you a new one. Um, but if you do like it, we can keep playing with that one. So, so just oh, to give them the option idea. of which way you go, um, and because it's easy enough to to kind of have a have a character leave the group, so bye, fellow adventurers, and walk out, and then a new guy meets them at the next tavern. The one, one thing I found, and I on board, it's a business thing, but I on board kind of a good dozen new players every single year with my kids' games, as kids come and go from my games. One thing I found is a little cheat sheet about character options that I present to my to my kids, um, and so uh, I'll take Dungeons and Dragons as the example. I have a one line of what each of the classes do. I have one line on uh, the bulk of the, the the lineages that we're going to be using, or the races, and one line on all the backgrounds. And I say, pick which one of these three you like. So it gives them some choice. Yep, I like this, this, and this. And then what I ask them to do is, is come up with three adjectives that describe your character. And I actually print out a list of adjective words. Um, you know, it'll be quick and witty and, um, you know, and strong. And from those building blocks of I've got the three basic structures and three descriptive things, I can then work with them to kind of flesh out a character based on those things. So you can kind of, once you've got some very basic concepts of a character, then you can move forward. And, and I find that that's the easiest way to, to quickly get to the crux of, of, of what characters um, these guys would, would like to play. And then I do all the heavy lifting. So... Um, in the first instance, I will guide players to here are some really great options to in order to do that. Here are some really great powers that I think would work for that and, and kind of edit out the choice in a lot of ways yeah. for a brand new player so that you can kind of come through. And then the big caveat of all of that is for the first three sessions, I let them change anything. So, oh, actually, I'm really not enjoying this. Can I try something new? Sure. You know, you just kind of... Don't don't pigeonhole them into the idea that once you've made a choice, then that's the choice for the rest of your life. Uh, no, if you don't like any of this stuff, let's talk in between games and we'll we'll change things out and change things in. It gives people an opportunity to try something. Like they'll try a power or a spell and go, oh, that isn't what I thought it would be. Let, can I pick a new one? Sure. And then and off you go. It's not game-breaking. People won't really care. The other players certainly won't care. Um, and so kind of having having the idea that you're not locked into these choices early because that can be really daunting. Well, if I don't get this right and if I get this wrong, what does that mean for the rest of my game? Excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, so that's, we're helping them Wait. get that character ready to come into play, but then obviously they're showing up at the table. Now, now the fun really begins, right? To, to bring them. Now the dauntingness of, now I'm sitting down with five other people and somebody says is saying, okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> so now, now the rubber meets the road. So um, I, I, I just had a couple more things as far as the, um, sorry, I, I don't want to uh, okay, go ahead. bring up a, yeah, like, uh, cause I, Carl, I, I also thought of you, like how you, you know, I think we, like what James brought up about um, having the simplified options. And I think that's, you've done that a lot, right. With your, convention games when you do savage world sheets you'll have like here are just these edges what they do and you make it very obvious on the sheets um 
Yeah, and and that's right. that, like, those are yeah. real pregens. I mean, it's 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 instead of a character. I think what you're talking about a little bit is in Savage Worlds, if you build out a character, you know, you're picking different edges and you're building out the character. When I come to a convention, I have a character and I just take the edges that make sense for that character for what they're trying to be, and it may be two or three edges that when the character might have had five or six if you were playing the game and you had yeah. gone through it, but it's really focused on a couple of key aspects that make the character the character and makes them interesting. Um, but definitely, yeah, those definitely are pure, pure pre-gens. This is what you get. So, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 but like building off on top of that, I think, because uh, you can still do that even with the kind of ways that we've talked about, like introducing uh, players to their characters um, is like, Having those mechanics more obvious uh, or like written differently on a sheet or even doing like stuff like flashcards where you can write down those abilities uh, just to be easily referenced. Like like how kind of how James said, like a cheat sheet. And you even have, it, and again, this a lot depends on the systems. And I think it's also important to talk about what systems you use. And, you know, it, again, depends on the player. But like generally, I think introducing players to, to uh, this hobby, it's better to go with more narrative um narrative weight systems like when i think about uh like i love powered by the apocalypse games and i think a lot of those make and there's kind of a genre they have every genre so you can kind of fit it to whatever that kind of players want to do but those are like really really good to get in because they're just very much more simpler mechanics and they don't have to learn about the grid as much you know hardly at all and things like that can be can be really good it really depends on the player like if if the person coming in is like a board gamer or plays a lot of video games then you can start with something like 5e Right, which is also kind of a lighter system, um, and that also leads me to of when you're introducing new characters, you you can neuter or I guess I don't know if that's the right word, but you can like hold back certain mechanics until a couple sessions down. So if we're using the example of Five E, where you know Five E quote unquote feats are optional, you know, but but like most people don't play that way. But when you're doing new characters, you might say yeah, like no feats. I mean, if it was a game that like had feats right away, like even in Pathfinder, you might hold back some of the feats. Just until, and then like once you've gotten four sessions in, be like, okay, let's go back and give you you give you guys some feats uh, that you were missing initially. So I think depending on the complexity of the game, uh, it, it could be good to just kind of like take out portions of the core mechanics. Um, you know, not too much where you break the game, but like you know some of that like more complicated stuff you can take uh, take out and wait till you're kind of a couple sessions in. So sorry, that's just Carl. I wanted to touch on before we actually got into sitting at the table. And 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 I guide players away from the more complicated character options as well. I mean, in any system, you've got your simple kind of fighter that you can whack things with a stick right up to a more complicated kind of character, like an artificer or something like that, that has got more complex kind <laughs> of um, ideas. I have a tendency to in, in Dungeons and Dragons to, to kind of guide people away from taking clerics and druids, for example, because the spell lists are enormous and, and the options are endless. And so, you know, you can kind of guide your new players away from those really complicated character types that will have them bogged down a little bit in, in, context, in content, is what I find. The other thing also, and one last one for me, I guess, is um, what I tend to try and do when you're creating characters for new players is have them really focus on their motivation and their character concept rather than the rules. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things about new players that come into this hobby is their free form imagination before they get constrained by the rules. Um, I find that as players play more and learn more of the rules and they become bound by the rules, um, most people, when they first play 
see the opportunities as endless in terms of how they can interact with with the world and trying to encourage that I think is actually really wonderful um, I find that you know other players at the table um, act with wonder when a new player kind of decides they're going to do something completely out of the box and so encouraging that by focusing on character motivation and character story rather than the rules early you can get some real gems out of new players it's not necessarily a bad thing to have someone arrive new with with no preconceived concepts about how the game should operate very cool very cool yeah I, that's a great that's a great thought for sure um, so let's, so then, uh, with that in mind, let's jump into, so again, like I mentioned, they're at the table, um, they're going to start, you're going to start playing, um, their first, their first session. So what does that look like? How do, how do you make them ease in and what, uh, how would you, how would you run that session? Um, who wants to jump in on that one? Well, for me, firstly, if I can avoid it, I don't have it happen that way. Um, uh, introducing a new player at the table for their first experience of role-playing, be, be a game with the full group already there is something that I try and avoid. Um, one thing that I, I try and do is a little prelude session or a very small one-on-one one-shot prior to them hitting the, hitting the, the ground. Um, that way you can kind of introduce some of the mechanics of the game. You can introduce some of what they're uh, character abilities can do and you can test out some things like an, uh, a bit of role play a bit of combat a skill challenges those kinds of things so that they can at least understand how a game is played and understand how a game flows so in my mind um, if you're already doing a character creation session with your new player what i try and do is allocate 30 minutes to an hour after that character creation to try and give them a taste of how the game runs. That way you've got a one-on-one situation where you can ease them into the game. They can ask any questions that they, they need to in the safety of asking those questions without having the rest of the table there and fe- feeling that horrible feeling like you're using up everyone's time. Um, and it also allows you to provide some threads into the main story by doing this little one-on-one kind of prelude for the character. Um, and, and in some ways, in my mind, that makes it easier to mesh it in with the other game, but I'll, I'll get to that shortly. Um, so it, it, for me, it's, uh, it's giving them a taste of the rules before they actually sit down at the table is an important step. So, so here's a question along those lines. So, um, that's, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant approach to take. Would you, um, if, if that was not an option or you didn't have that opportunity, would you, uh, bring them in as an observer to start with and let them, so they don't feel like they're wasting people's time and just let them watch the game as it proceeds a real game, not, you know, they may have watched Critical Role or something, but, a, yeah. you know, how a real game happens and kind of demonstrate how play works and takes an extra second or two to just explain what just happened. Um, you know, they just Ab- rolled absolutely. for initiative. And, so this is and what- even, when, even when you bring a player, even if you've had the opportunity to do this little one-on-one session, when you first bring a player to a new table, I generally don't put any focus. I don't introduce their character until a good half an hour, 45 minutes into the session. Um, they can then get a sense of the rhythm of the game 
and how and they can get a it's like you're meeting players in some way so you're meeting what's going on and then I'll introduce the new player once they've had a bit of an idea about what's going on already and they can get they can get a sense of the story before they have to commit into into the play Eric's looking at me very worried in this way I don't think Eric's got the same opinion as I do no but no, I tend, just, I tend I, to hold I, off for a little bit I, I think we started talking about the bringing a new player into an already established game versus uh, players completely new to the hobby and I think because the one thing I wanted to ask you James on that same note if what if the instead of it just being one new player what if it's all new players and I think that's also something that people deal with a lot too right is like a group of new players uh, versus just one new player new, new to the hobby and that's when you well, introduce whole... all your all your homebrew rules that make D&D not D&D because <laughs> they don't know any better isn't that how that works <laughs> That that's an entirely different thing. How do you establish a brand new group for whole new players? I think that, to be honest, that's probably an episode in itself. Um, for me, if you're sitting down with a table with everyone who hasn't played before, yeah. ideally, what you're trying to get a sense in character creation and enthusiasm, someone will have a better idea about the game than others. Someone would have watched and read The Lord of the Rings over the others. Someone would have, have, have uh, are far more enthusiastic about the concept of of, of, uh, of playing than the others. And that's where I would go to that person and slowly bring them into the action, expand it out and bring people in as we go. Um, in, in some ways, all the really, really good published um, introductory adventures start with a big... Um, kind of action-oriented beginning that is very easy to, to understand. So um, one thing I would do is make sure that the first encounters, the first situations that you're involved in are very simple in terms of the concept of what the objective of that encounter needs to be. So it's very obvious that you're in the market square, someone yells, stop thief, and you see a guy run through the crowd with a with a bag in its hand. What do you do? It's very obvious about what's going on. You, you make it a very simple concept for the first encounter and that way everyone has an idea of what they would do in that situation and yeah. therefore it makes it simple for them what their character would do. I mean, that, even, on, even... Oh, go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, even beyond that, when I'm doing conventions and I have brand new, brand new players, um, and you'd be surprised how often that actually is at a convention. You'd think that'd be... You know, a lot of people who've already played, but all the time I have parents bring in their kids who haven't really played and are just learning. And um, I think the play off that, it's not just a counter, even a simpler plot for the game, you know, for the game session where there's a simple beginning. It's like you said, there's a call to action right away. Stop the thief. And now you know who the thief is. And you find out that there's this, you know, bandits are holed up and you can go get them. And now you take them out and then you discover the magical sword that you were looking for, whatever it is, but it's very simple. And, and yeah, formulaic that really helps people because they're trying to keep their brain on the mechanics they're trying to keep their brain on what their character is going to do and they're trying to keep their brain on this interweaving strange plot that um that you came up with um which is fine for um players who know what they're doing but um sometimes it's better for just to keep it simple so i just wanted to you know it goes beyond the encounter i just wanted to play a little off of what you said there james yeah that, and that's that's what i was also thinking and my, my thing with it too is um like keeping the stakes low like the actual stakes low um and relying more on the narrative to be like the higher stakes like kind of the outside of their own specific experience if, if this is making any sense like don't have like yeah it, it's it's like catching a thief it's not like you're fighting you know a horde of undead all of a sudden um yeah. that like is killing everybody around you like 
so even if that could be a simple encounter, I think it's also just slow paying, slow playing them in across all fields, right? Like keeping those stakes kind of low, like not just don't make it boring. Don't make it just like, oh, we spent all day like, you know, doing a medieval simulator of uh, we, we baked a stew and, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, chopped, like, got, bring, brought in the harvest or something. But you can you can have exciting bits without the stakes being so like, you know. Uh, life or death or kind of these big ideas, like you said, going to what you said, Carl, like keeping the guys sim simple. Um, but you can give them hooks that are narrative hooks that are, you know, maybe what's going on in the world. Like there's echoes in the world that are maybe will be intriguing to them. Like there's been uh, undead attacking, just not where they are. Right. So like you're, you're, you're planting seeds, you're getting them excited and what the possibilities are, but you're in the immediacy, you're not overwhelming them with like their situation where like you were talking about Carl of like, they're trying to keep all these other things in their head at the same time that are new to them. So you don't need to stress them out with like being in these, okay, these like complicated situations or situations that are, you know, yeah, like you said, simple, keep it simple. Very cool. Any, any other, um, any other thoughts that you guys have, uh, to, to kind on, of on entire groups of noobs? Uh, yeah, well, no, not necessarily. Uh, that's but. A, that's a <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's what I thought we were kind of talking about is, is just new players in general, not into an established crew, but yeah. Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I'm, I thought we were also talking about established players into a, into a, a new yes. group, like bringing somebody yeah, yeah. halfway through as well. Well, that's what I um, wanted to jump to if, if we're, to next. Yeah, if yeah. we kind of, that's our next topic. Um, so I just wanted to make sure we explored, um, cause this is a big deal, right? Getting that new player in, explored it to the, to the level that we think it deserves. Yeah. I, mean, and, I think like, do, but, do we bring up, but, do we bring up them, them ever watching anything? Like, like if, if they don't, they've never had an experience with an actual play, like that could be also something like here, like check out, you know, some of these actual plays, like, like you said, examples, right? Like in, I think you were saying you have them watch the session themselves, but if they're all new players, then maybe it would be good to like, Hey, here's some actual plays. So you can kind of see how people play it. Um, I don't know. That was just a, a yeah, idea. It's really funny because um, a lot of my players are kids and you can't get them to watch an actual play because A, it might not be appropriate because yeah. actual plays are, are generally for an adult audience. And I find that their kids don't want to watch them. They, their attention span is just to the point where it's like, no, I want to do it. And so for what I find yeah. is, yes, maybe. Um, I actually prefer to for new players to not necessarily get the baggage of watching an actual play. Um, we've got a new player in our game that I'm playing with at the moment in my in my monthly D&D game where I'm a player um, who is very well up with critical role and very well versed watching every season and understanding entirely. And it's his first game. And I've got to say we're undoing a bit of the harm that, that being a, that being a, an avid actual play watcher comes with and, and feeling the need yeah. to be that that great voice actor and have that complicated character background and and you know and it's actually a lot less a lot less onerous to play at a game than than what it's made out to be you know you don't have to be as accomplished you don't have to be as 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 formidable you can just kind of be mediocre at it and still have a really great time is kind of what we're undoing at the moment i think the final bit of advice to me which i've actually seen this in use is if you want to eventually get to a game that maybe is more complicated, like say Pathfinder 2E or something, that's the game that you want to get to. You can still start new players off in the same world with their same characters with a very simple system. I mean, there's a lot of systems now that are extremely easy. And so don't be afraid to like system transition, I guess, what, what we, how I call it. Like if you go into one that is 
extremely narrative that has extremely simple rules. You can start with that system in the world that you want to do it in. And then once they're more, uh, once they're more um, comfortable with playing in this type of world and doing improv and all, you know, all the role playing, all the stuff that we talk about, then you can move it into this new system and still have the same characters, have the same world. And I've actually seen people do this before where, where you do kind of a, a system to a different system that's more kind of complicated. Um, so that could be something if, 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 if what I said, if you if you're, if your system is like, you know, the two E or, uh, whatever, I, I don't know if call of Cthulhu, is that, is that that complicated or, um, call of Cthulhu no, is the most not. basic okay. system you've ever known. It's Savage it's World is pretty medium, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like start with the fate, start with, there's all these like single page RPGs now that are different yes. genres. So you can start with a single page RPG and then once they get used to that part of the game, move it into the more complicated system. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I think that was a really good exploration of, of that topic. So now let's talk about, you know, this taking now a player and bringing them into an established group um, of players. Uh, and this could be obviously somebody we, we kind of explored new people. This is now an existing player who's just coming into your group. You're trying to integrate them in. Um, obviously you've got a whole bunch of challenges, um, you know, where the player and GM may have different expectations. The play styles might not gel. Um, you know, the, there's probably others like, um, forcing them to, you know, take on a role or a character that, that needs to be there because, um, there's a niche not being filled or what have you. And there's probably others. Um, so I, I wanted to, you know, kind of, open that up, what other challenges might there be? And then we can kind of roll into the ideas in our, in the last, uh, the last bit of this episode. Any other challenges? Yeah, I guess the, 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 the big challenge for me is the group dynamic, isn't it? Like you, you, you've got a group that's working very, very well. There might be a reason why you got rid of the other guy and now you need to replace, you've got a <laughs> replacement. Um, and so trying to maintain that group dynamic is very, very important because, um, you know, there's nothing worse, and I've I've experienced this. You've introduced someone into the into it into a table, and it just has not worked right from the outset. The personality conflicts are, are, are too great, um, and so that's the biggest concern for me is is making sure that, that that it works well together. The other challenge is trying to get it so that there is enough depth to the new character that allows them to have enough of the spotlight relatively early in the game. Um, because in an established campaign where people might have been playing for a year or so, um, the backstories are convoluted, the detail is already there, and having someone that has got enough detail in their character to compete with the complexity of the main plotline um, is, is important, to give them enough meat on the bones relatively early enough so that they've got enough to do. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're the you're the red shirt or you're the kind of <laughs> the, the player NPC that doesn't yeah. really have much to add to the storyline. I, I think out of like and you guys both hit the nail on the head and I'm just going to expand on that a little bit is we've talked so much in this series about, you know, session zero, setting expectations, all those things. I think out of any other situation, this is the most important time to set expectations and be as deep and explicit as possible. And that's with what type of game it is, what, what like you said, James, what the party dynamic is, what kind of characters they're playing, what the, like what's the, you know, what's been their kind of like, how they've been inter interacting with the world. I think this is by far the most important uh, uh, thing to do to set expectations because, because like, like you, like you said, there could be, you know, conflicts with the new player coming in or not gelling with, with the, uh, 
with the group. And, you know, when you're starting a new game, like we always talk about, session zero is to get them to, like, generally fit the kind of campaign that you want to play and to fit that narrative. And like you said, James, when the, when the players start taking, it, it changes that, that and it adds an extra layer. And so you really, really, really have to be upfront and very like, yeah, this is what he's playing. This is what he, they're playing. And not even just what they're like the class, but this is the kind of personality, right? Yep. Um, you could, you don't have to be this one specific type, like Carl said, but you know, if, if all of the characters have morphed into like, well, they're, they're generally pretty honorable. I didn't say that had to be like a honorable game, but everybody kind of takes and is kind of shifted into being, you know, the heroes in that role. You know, really make it clear to them that like you know, you can be a little on the fence, but this is this is how the game has been going. This is the style it's been going. I, I wasn't planning on it originally, but this is how the group is. So I think that is the most important. I can, and I really can't like say it enough times. Like it's I, I've been a new player into games. I've seen new players come into games. I've had new players come into games that I've been running, and that is always the biggest hurdle by by far. Like by far is um what, how they gel and uh, the narrative and the party dynamic for sure. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I've recently brought two new players into a, a group of old buddies of mine, like, and we've known each other for years. Um, and it was very, very clear that well, I needed to stress with them that this was not a serious role playing game. This is a beer and pretzels, a lot of goofing around, you know, a lot of inappropriate comments at the wrong time, a very comedic interjection. So there isn't strong character. There's not huge RP. It's really rolling some dice and killing some orcs, you know, once once every two weeks and having a bit of fun. Um, and the guys, the new players were really up for that. They were like, this sounds fantastic. And it was the, the pitch was not about the, the storyline. It was not about the setting. It was about the dynamic of the group. Like, this is the game. Would you be interested in playing in this style of game? And thankfully, the two guys were really up for that and um, and have had, a, you know, come in all guns blazing on that same concept. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Getting that setting that expectation of what the group dynamics like is really important. So, so uh, just throwing something out there. So bringing a new person in is a big deal for an existing campaign, right? You're, you're going to invest time and effort. Have you ever thought about um, maybe taking and doing a, a one shot kind of in that same vein, same style of game that you're playing and, and just seeing how they gel with the rest of the players, see if they are, um, hogging the spotlight or they're a maniac or they're murder hobo and that just doesn't work out before it's like hey you're now integral to this this plot that we're trying to create in this main campaign have you guys ever thought about thought about that have you ever tried it one thing that one thing that i do is i bring whenever i bring a new player in i make them relevant for the current chapter that they're in so a great example is I've just brought these two new guys in. The, the players happen to be in a town, a specific town. They've been travelling around a lot of towns. They're in, the, in this specific town to discover a specific mystery about why has the mayor not come out of his castle and is holding himself up there. And, and we find out that he's actually been taken prisoner in his own castle. The two new players that we introduced into that game were villagers from that town that were integral into trying to work out why had the mayor not been seen. So once we had solved that mystery, and it took two sessions to, to complete that, 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 that mystery, I could have said, actually, guys, this isn't working. Let's not continue. Or we could say, now, now we'll build in some reasons as to why you'll then continue with the group onto the next town. 
So it's about compent compen- mark com what am I what's the word I'm trying to say? Compartmentalizing compartmentalizing uh, their interaction. So not necessarily a one shot because you still want to continue with the story, but have them relevant for that one encounter, that one dungeon, that one bit that you're in at the moment with that, and with the ability to break it off if you need to after that time. And set that expectation as well. We're going to run a couple of sessions in this adventure. If it's not working for you, that's fine. You know, no harm, no foul. We'll walk away before we finish this little this little sub-module and just set that up really easily. Uh, so totally agree with you, James, but on that note, Carl, and I, and I think I've never done, and I, I don't know how I feel about doing a separate one-shot, but... I have experience, and I think this can be something that's good, is where you do a one-shot within the campaign involving that character. So to introduce them, and I think one of the things that we were going to talk about is, you know, and I think, James, you brought this up before, is like you do that first kind of 30 minutes with them, like establishing them in the world. But if you wanted to go farther than that, what you can do is bring their character into the world and do, do the prequel event with them, but have the rest of the players play different characters just for that kind of event. So Oh, nice. Yeah, like so there you're bringing them in, you are kind of testing them out, but it's not like a separate thing. It's connected to the history of the game that you're playing. And then and then the other players get to like it's it's not as precious to them when it's like this new character coming in and affecting their characters, right? And it's also can be fun for them to like, oh, I you know, I've been playing a fighter for a while, but this new Ranger subclass came out. Yeah, I want to try it out. So they'll be like, Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll play this new Ranger subclass for this little like kind of one shot within the campaign that we're gonna do. So you're establishing this new character within the world and within the history. And it's also a shared experience, but it's not putting all the weight directly, you know, immediately on the already established storyline and the already established characters. So it's kind of a halfway between what James is saying, what you brought up, Carl. And I, I've done this before and it, it was pretty fun. It was definitely fun. And I think that's something that I would like to explore more. I, I often don't, you know, I'm not, I don't think a lot of times I brought new players in, but that's something that I probably would want to be curious to try for sure. Um, it did work well when, when I've done it before though. So, uh, that, that's. Uh, I guess I hadn't thought about that one. I, I definitely had thought about what James was saying, and then I was curious uh, how that might work. But that's a great. That's a great. Uh, that's a great thought. Um, still within the world, still relevant. Yeah. Just my character has all the spotlight, really. The new most character. of it. Yeah. To, to start with, and you can really see how how everybody gels together, and you know, are they, you know, at the end of the night. Um, clinking glasses and drinking and drinking the beer and eating the pretzels and all hooping and hollering all around it. So awesome. So any other, any other thoughts that you guys have? Um, the only other little side? thing that, and, and I guess this could have happened in Eric's scenario as well, is what I try and do is have the new players in some ways have an answer to what the group's looking for to kind of give them a purpose as to why they're joining, but also to give them value as to why they're joining. You know, so the group, for example, didn't know, uh, hasn't seen the mayor for some time, want to know why he's held up in the castle. The group have a few more, the new players have a few more details, have a few more clues, have a few more answers that can combine to that, that you've preloaded, that you've pre-given them in their little one-on-one session so that they're, they're bringing, they're coming with a piece of the plot puzzle um, as part of the game, which then gives them value and a reason as to why they would they would join in with the rest of the group. Um, I have had bad examples of where I haven't done that, and the group have had no reason to in, to kind of incorporate a new player and have literally ignored that new player for the first little bit. To be fair, they're 
kids and they were assholes. But, um, you know, like, you know, what you want to do is have a way that you can make the new players valuable to the group to give them value so that they, there's a reason to be played with. Isn't that the old joke? Why, why would all these people, these strangers meeting in a bar decide that they're all going to trust each other yes. implicitly and go do yeah. something? Hey, that, that's, that's, a, that's another episode that uh, uh, we're going to do. But James, I cannot tell you how important that is, what you said. And I was definitely, I was going to bring it up and it's so important. And I think how you can kind of think about this is always about, as a game master, you have to think about player character motivations. And this is kind of, to me, this is the flip of our selfish rogue um, episode question about like the selfish rogue player puts that role playing onus on the other players of like, if they're always acting selfish towards the group, why wouldn't the group drop them? The only reason they're not is because the meta knowledge of there's this person we, we don't want to, you know, it, it doesn't, we don't want to just like kick the person out necessarily, maybe, maybe, you know, right away. So we're like keeping it going, even though our characters wouldn't. And they're they're putting all the weight on those characters. And that what you're saying, it's the kind of the same thing. Like if you're introducing somebody, but they're not having a reason for the group wanting them in. They're not, and especially like you said, providing something, a an answer, a an item, a skill, the skill set that they need to accomplish something. Um, then yeah, you are putting that onus on those other players to be like, well, the only reason that we're accepting men is because that's what's the, the meta of the game of the player needs yeah. to join in the group. And that just never feels right. Never feels right to anybody. Um, one other thing I want to bring up here. That's a little trick. I would say, um, is how we always talk about mining character backgrounds as a game master. You can mine character backgrounds, your established players backgrounds. Uh, when you're, when you're bringing this new player in, when, when you're talking about what their character can be and, you know, always kind of, I would say, it depends. It depends how much you know your. If you know a player, would be kind of cool with that. And I'm not saying like the big thing in their background, but you can take little things out of their background and be like, "Hey, we have a character in the game that has like this uncle or something, or that was like has you know has a real like loves this type of festivals or had a real problem with like this country or something," and bring that to the new player coming in, so they can maybe they're kind of mining that background for their own background to kind of create these threads between them and maybe it's not something overt right away um but again know your players some players you'd be like i know they'll be totally cool with me doing this other times you can ask them be like hey would it be cool if the new character coming in maybe had these kind of connections with these things from yeah. your background um but i think it's hugely important to to do to do some of this mining often because that will create um beyond what james said and i think again that's hugely important you should always do what james said like pretty much all the time um uh, having that deeper connection there will also, as the narrative goes on, uh, and then the, you know, the other, the party discovering that will also bring them together in a lot of ways. And again, this doesn't have to be like their, their, their like secret half brother or something, you know? Maybe if they want to do that, that could be cool. You could bring that up, but not something that big. But having those little connections of, you know, either shared interests or shared points of, uh, where, you know, they were in the same place, same time during a certain event. Maybe they were both in this, this city when the dragon attack and destroyed it. Right. So they're both kind of, maybe they had a different experience, but they were both kind of refugees in a way or something. Maybe one was a peasant and one was a noble, but you know, they, they were still had that kind of shared trauma. So things like that. I always find that that makes a richer experience overall. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. So I think we've really hit that topic pretty well. I think the first episode of season three went pretty good. good I think we learned some Season good stuff three. here. <laughs> we did our so, stretches. We did our, we did our, uh, uh, yeah, our yoga yeah, so, before. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com to learn about all our other projects um, and what we're working on and contact us, support us. 
please email gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com if you had questions, need advice, uh, need some rule adjudication or question adjudication. <laughs> We're here for you. Just send us an email and we'll do it. And again, thanks to those who sent us emails this week. Uh, once again, I'm Carl with Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Happy gaming. <laughs>